so excited to introduce my next guest, Maddie Sheffer. She is an MMFT. Her pronouns are she, her. Maddie, can you introduce yourself to our audience today? Yeah. Hey, I'm Maddie Sheffer. Um, I'm a marriage and family, or I'm an associate marriage and family therapist, um, but I have a master's in marriage and th- family therapy. Um, and yeah, I guess I'm, I'm working in Beverly Hills right now. What else do you want to know? Very cool. I found you through Instagram and you have your brand Zillennial Therapy. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like a, a cute little um, kind of like talking about this in-between generation between Gen Z and millennials and how, you know, we don't really like identify with the millennial generation, but also like we're not as hip and cool <laughs> as Gen Z teenagers. Um, and so I found that like I do work with sexuality and I've worked with clients um, about sexuality for the last five years. And um, I felt like it was just like this perfect kind of blend of the two that I was passionate about. I love it so much. It's so catchy and cute. <laughs> I really like it. That's that's what caught my eye, honestly. Um, I'd love to start by you just sharing your own story, kind of how you got into marriage family therapy with a focus on sexuality as much as your journey as you feel comfortable sharing. Absolutely. Um, where do I start? Um, you know, I'll start with, I'll start with, I had my own kind of, um, my own kind of problems in college. Um, I, some trauma happened to me and I used that as kind of, um, after I had gone to therapy and kind of processed it through, I realized that I had like, and then I had this, um, desire to learn more about my sexuality because it had been robbed from me in some way. Mm -hmm. And I felt like I needed to figure out what my sexuality was for me and like how I could express that. Um, And so I started working for the Sexual Health Alliance when I was in um, university in Austin, Texas. Um, And I worked for the Sexual Health Alliance for a number of years. Um, They do they do uh, educational conferences for therapists to help people get their sex therapy certification. Um, they they just oh, are a wonderful organization that helps people get educated. Um, and so I was working with them. I obviously got way more knowledgeable about sexual health and education. Um, and then I knew I wanted to be a therapist. So I applied for master's programs, um, moved out to LA to go to uh, USC's master program for marriage and family therapy. Um, I did that program in two years and I've been working in private practice since then. That's awesome. Good like for everything you. in a nutshell, a little bit. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing your own personal journey. Um, I really appreciate it. And I am a sexual trauma survivor myself. And I feel like I hear that quite often that the sexual violence that occurs kind of intrigued the person to take a look at their sexuality on a deeper healing level. So that's, you know, that's beautiful that you can take that adverse experience and now use it to really empathize with people and help them in that way. Absolutely. And this concept that I've really been returning back to lately has been like, whatever's making me uncomfortable, if I lean towards that, it's usually a pretty good indicator of where I need to go. Mm -hmm. And so when I was really stressed and having a really hard time with my own sexuality, leaning towards that completely changed my life. Um, also feeling like really insecure as a young therapist. I look young. I think I sound young. Um, and so I had these insecurities of being a young therapist and 
leaning towards that has built this brand. That's what Zillennial Therapy is about, right? It's about bringing um, therapy, which unfortunately is only really accessible. Uh, the long-term therapy is only really accessible to people with privilege. Yeah. And so while I need to make a check, you know, and I see people and it, and obviously like that's important. Um, I think it's really important to be able to take the concepts from therapy and be able to give them to people in a more accessible way. So my entire like idea with my business with selenial therapy has been to be able to bring things that I routinely do with clients and couples um, and be able to kind of give people that in a very bite-sized version. And so I have a couples communication course. It's like a two-week app course where people can go with their couples and or with their partner and, and go on there every day, um, do the activity, and then return the next day for the next one. And so I've got a card game. I've got a journal book. I've got just like little things that um, I think – have been really helpful for clients I've had, and I wanted to share with as many people as I can. Mm, beautifully said, beautifully said. I can't wait to talk about the couple stuff. <laughs> but you did mention a really good point that therapy is a privilege. So I'd love to start there on why is therapy important and what are some really common barriers surrounding therapy? Oof, that is a lot. Um, well, I think first and foremost, the financial component of therapy is a hurdle. Yeah. Um, if we're talking about a community mental health place providing low cost therapy to people um, without insurance, we're looking at, you know, 20 to $60. People are paying small amounts, but even that once a week yeah. times that by four and you've got a pretty big number. Mm. Um, so unfortunately, unless you are being seen in a community mental health space, which are usually um, perpetuated by people who are associates who are still getting their license, are doing free labor. And so that's why the services are so cheap, mm -hmm. um, because people need to get their hours. And so because they're not getting paid, those services exist, and that's wonderful. But the problem is, once these people who have spent thousands and thousands of dollars obtaining their degree, spending years and years getting this degree, now want to provide a life for their family, it's troublesome because, you know, the standard therapist here in Los Angeles is charging somewhere between 150 to 250 an hour. Yeah. And while most of my clients pay within that, that realm, I do have to leave spots in my caseload for sliding scale clients because mm -hmm. I feel like it's important that I can serve many different sects of the population. Wow. Yeah. That's so true. And we could talk about the free labor forever. Those clinical hours, they, oh, they're no joke. <laughs> no joke. 3,000. And it depends on what state you're in, um, which is crazy to me, because why would a therapist in California require 3,000 hours and yet someone in Montana needs 1,500? Mm -hmm. I believe that's right. Don't quote yeah. me. But it, a lot of these are, are much lower hours. Um, and so... It's it's a problem because as an associate, your your half of what you're making goes to your practice. Or if you're working um, in a community mental health setting, maybe you have a salary and so you have something you can rely on. But maybe you're overworked. Maybe there's not as much mobility, and maybe you're not seeing the clients that you want to see. Preach yes, yes to all <laughs> of the above. So, well, but you know what you said? What is important about therapy, and why should people? And I want to address that because yeah. I think that I talked about all the bad things and I want to talk about why therapy is really helpful. Please do. I think that 
I work with clients in a narrative perspective. And what that means is that we take what's going on and we break it down into little bite-sized chunks. And then we find a way to take those little building blocks and rebuild our narrative in a way where we can retell our story in a way that's going to feel more empowering. Mm -hmm. And so that's like therapy in a nutshell in my mind. And so I, through language and through like de-shaming a client's experience um, and having a safe space to come back to every single week where therapy can be anything you need it to be. And really having that space and being connected with your therapist, I think that's what facilitates, you know, the growth. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. What are some common myths and misconceptions surrounding therapy? Hmm. Um, you know, the biggest myth I hear is actually about couples therapy. Hmm. Um, I hear that people don't go to couples therapy until they're at the very end of their rope. And I think that's a big myth that you only can go to couples therapy when things are like at divorce level or things are at breakup level. Um, or if you've been together a long time, you know, and I think that is the biggest misconception because I have had wonderful sessions with clients who are, have not been in a relationship, but are sexually with each other. I've had, you know, I've had amazing sessions with clients who are, nothing's particularly going wrong in their marriage or nothing's going on in their relationship, yet they are able to communicate so much better in therapy. They're able to have a more fulfilling sex life through therapy. And so um, that is the biggest misconception. I think that and I think that could be transferred to individual therapy too, right? You don't need to wait until you're at 911 hospital level. You can go to therapy at any point in your journey. Amen. And it's funny you said that because my last partner, I actually, I think three months in, I was like, listen, I would love to do couples therapy. And everyone around me was like, why? You're not married. You've just started dating. And I was like, that's the perfect time to get to know each other and learn to communicate effectively. Because when people come into a relationship, they're coming from completely different histories and backgrounds. So what worked in your last relationship might not work for this person. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Yeah. So when it comes to trying therapy for the first time, um, what can someone kind of expect when going into their first therapy session? Well, I might back up a little bit before that sure. and say that when looking for a therapist, it can be really overwhelming. Um, there's a million names. There's all these letters after people's names. What do they mean? <laughs> um, do I want to do it in person or telehealth? Uh, does that change the experience? Um, what the hell kind of therapist do I need? An existential therapist, a psychodynamic? There's all <laughs> these different people don't know. And so I would say that when looking for a therapist, finding a therapist that you can connect with is the number one important thing. Research suggests that a therapeutic journey is going to be immensely better with a client who feels connected to their therapist. Yeah. So first and foremost, being connected to your therapist. But what can you expect? Um, well, the first time you're going to hear about things that you might not be able to say in therapy, because there are some of those. Um, and that is what I'm talking about is confidentiality and the limits of confidentiality. So when I would have to report as a mandated reporter, which is when a child or someone over the age of 65 or someone who's a dependent adult um, might be getting harmed or if they're dangerous to themselves or someone else. Um, and so 
you'd hear about that. Um, but the first session would really be about starting to open up and tell someone else who you are. Like, how do you start to tell someone who you are? How do you tell a stranger who you are to your core? Mm. And I think that what that first session is really amazing at doing is really showing me, the therapist, I think what the person is coming into therapy with, like what they're looking for. And I think the first session is just, it's, it's amazing because there's so much nervous energy, but it's the start of this really beautiful journey in my eyes. And so um, that's from my perspective, I, I guess, what to expect on the very first day. Hmm, thank you for going deeper into that because I know it can be overwhelming. Like, where do we start? And looking up on Google. I love psychology today. I don't know if you have any websites that you can suggest when searching for yeah. a therapist in your area. I have a lot of suggestions, actually. <laughs> cool. Um, for low for low fee, I would suggest Open Path. They um, do individuals from thirty dollars to sixty dollars, and I think couples go to eighty. Um, so that's a really great place to find low cost therapy. Um, Frame is another good one. I think it's only in California currently. Um, and then Good Therapy is is actually probably my favorite. Hmm. Wow. So Good Therapy is very similar to Psychology Today. I just find that you can kind of think of them as dating profiles a little bit. You know, what's the difference between Hinge versus Bumble versus Tinder? You know, they're kind of all like that. And so if psychology today is tinder then maybe uh maybe good therapy is more like bumble i don't know oh that's a great analogy <laughs> thank you for sharing those i've never heard of any of those ever before so i really appreciate that that's great yeah absolutely so absolutely. and then instagram is also like kind of oh, a place yeah. to look too right yeah um as long as the person is living in the state as long as the mm -hmm. therapist is in the state that you're in um, contact people on Instagram. I know that like, if you're looking for somebody who maybe is closer to your age, um, looking, you know, on Instagram is a really great place because that's where people in their twenties and thirties are. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think, I don't know if it was on your profile, but a lot of, um, therapists on Instagram now will put in their bio that Instagram is not therapy. So please find a trusted professional. <laughs> yeah. 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 And part of that is like our ethical duty to um, make sure that people don't think that we're their therapists just because we're getting mental health advice online. Mm. Um, but yeah, the ethics get, get confusing because um, the world is changing faster than the rules have changed. And yeah. so um, there, yeah. That I could go down the rabbit hole with that one, but um, <laughs> yeah, everything's changing. Oh, couldn't agree more. And I think that counseling is so individual because um, especially word of mouth is also a good way too, because I will tell my friends that this person, this counseling center really helped me and their cost, their sliding scale range is this, but it's so interesting how everyone needs like different unique um, values that they're looking for. Like I personally love telehealth therapy while my friend is like, I will not see a telehealth therapist I need in person. So I think it's really different for everyone to find exactly what they're looking for. Right. And also sometimes it's important to find someone who shares identities to you. Mm -hmm. Right. So I work specifically with sexuality, um, whether it be identity expression or, you know, whether it be the LGBTQIA population. Um, but you know, 
if I get a client who calls and who is trans and they're looking for a trans therapist, maybe I'm not the right therapist for them, right? And maybe they don't know that, that that's what they want or need, but seeing yourself in your therapist is really important. Being able to identify with them. Um, I think that's really important. It's a really good point. Yeah. That, thank you for mentioning that. When starting this therapeutic journey, what do you think it's important to look for in a therapist or that therapeutic relationship? I know you mentioned that it's important and helpful to have a connection. Can you kind of expand upon what that might look like? So repeat the first part of your question. Yeah. So what I, I guess I'm asking is just like green flags in a therapist. Mm, okay. Okay. Um, first of all, someone who actually responds to you, because I hear that some therapists have um you know, aren't, aren't the best at answering your emails. And, you know, I'm not the best at answering my emails either, but I think that having someone who's prompt with you, if you have to wait more than a few days, maybe, maybe they're too busy. Maybe they have other clients that, that they're dealing with. I don't know. Um, but I think someone who's prompt is really important. Um, I think someone who you connect with on the phone, maybe if you have a phone call before, that's really important. Um, I would say that, yeah, people that share similar identities or things where you can pinpoint characteristics in them that seem similar to yourself can be helpful. Um, But yeah, I I don't know. Green flags. That's interesting. I haven't really thought about that before. Well, if we shift, can you tell some red flags? I know you mentioned communication. It reminded me of a therapist I had years ago that it happened like three times when I went to our appointment and she forgot. So I was oh. just like, this might not be the best match. Oh no. Yeah. That's, that's no good. Yeah. So what um, other red flags or things to know that it's really not working in your Yeah. Favor? Well, first and foremost, therapists are humans and I've missed appointments before. I totally, okay. Three times is kind of a lot, Yeah, but um, <laughs> you know, therapists are humans for it first and foremost, but um you know, red flags, if you're doing telehealth and the person doesn't seem really engaged, maybe mm-hmm. their hands are below their computer, maybe they're doing other things, that would be a pretty big red flag to me. Um, also, if um, if they're not, if, if the therapist isn't directing you in the direction that you want to go and constantly you're leaving therapy being like, I don't know if I talked about what I wanted to talk about or uh, that was different from what I thought it would be, or I don't really think my therapist understood me. Those would be red flags to me as well. Mm, yeah. um, other than that, I, I can't think of too much off the top of my head. Um, I think if, if ethics are being crossed, if they're ethical um, problems, that would be, you know, if a therapist is too familiar with you, mm. um, I would say I'm, I'm way more casual than the normal therapist. I think I, I prefer that it's in my nature to be more casual. Um, but I will say that boundaries are really important. And so if your therapist is crossing your boundaries, um, contacting you at, at weird, in weird ways, um, making you feel uncomfortable, um, you know, maybe if you see them in public and they, they're not supposed to say anything, but maybe that could be an issue. Um, Those are some things I would probably watch out for. 
Yeah, that's important to mention. And I actually didn't know about that until I learned in school that a therapist isn't supposed to say hello if they see you in public. And a few years ago, I saw my therapist at like a city MD and I felt so insulted that she didn't say hi to me. And I I was just like, does she hate me? But it's really an ethical, uh, you use the word boundaries and that's a really good word to uh, incorporate. It's so important. Absolutely. Yeah, I know it can probably feel heartbreaking if you don't get (laughs) recognized, but Um, It's just to protect confidentiality. Sure, sure. And something else that you brought up is, you know, the energy, the connection, the communication. And the thing I love about therapy is that sometimes your therapeutic needs shift over time. I know when I started therapy years ago, I just wanted someone that would provide like a non-judgmental listening ear, someone that I could really vent to. And now that I'm older, I really appreciate feedback and like people challenging me and causing me to have these introspective, like inquisitive thoughts. So it's also kind of helpful to know what you're looking for in a therapist as well and how you feel you would benefit. Right. And I make sure in the first sessions with clients that I'm checking in constantly. So that's a green flag I'd look out for Hmm. is if your therapist is constantly checking in with you, how did that feel? How was last week? Um, You know, how did today's session feel? Did I make you upset when I said this comment? When I said this, did this come up for you? If your therapist is checking in with you, they're trying to figure out how you're receiving therapy. Mm. And so I would say that's a green flag. I love that. That is really, I feel like that'd be super helpful too, because something I hear from a lot of my friends is that they're afraid To be honest with their therapist, they're like, I don't really like this relationship anymore. I don't want them as my therapist anymore, but I'm afraid to hurt their feelings. Yep, 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 (laughs) yep, yep. And yes, and that's why I make a huge point, a huge point, because I know how I am and I know how I was in therapy. I make a huge point to tell clients, look, if you need to email me and it's late, don't worry about it. I'm not going to email you back until the next business day but you can email me at any time. And that's how I keep my boundaries pretty, pretty clear in that way. But I also make a big deal of like, like I am here for you. And if you're angry with me, that's okay. I let a client down last week. I, they needed me and I had an appointment run late and I had to miss the session. And um, the client was upset. And so when I saw him the next time, I could feel the kind of tension. And so rather than ignoring it and hoping it's okay, Mm -hmm. I really addressed it. And I said, are you angry with me about last time? And he said, yes. And that was okay. That was really okay. Mm -hmm. Because you're allowed to be angry. You're allowed to express that. And how amazing to express anger and have a person still Mm -hmm. care for you and be there for you and support you. That's awesome. Yeah, it's so brave on both ends too. But if anything, therapy is the place to try to learn to advocate for yourself and to assert yourself with someone that's kind of just going to be a sounding board and reflect back at you like so many people are afraid of speaking their truth. So that's why I think therapy is the perfect place to learn to be authentic. Right. It's a mirror. Yeah. And I'm I act as a mirror in session. And so where a client, I can see things so clearly and say, have you ever thought about this, this way? And it's so clear to me because all I'm doing is reflecting back what I'm hearing. You know, I'm not some magician who has secret knowledge. Like I, that's why I really, that's, that's a, the mission of my business is that 
of zillennial therapy is that therapy is accessible and it's and i want to demystify it i don't want it to be this thing that you have to pay a million dollars to find out what it is um because that's not accessible to everyone yeah do you think that therapy is for everyone yeah i mean <laughs> Uh, you know, okay, there's research that says therapy makes certain people with antisocial personality disorder potentially worse. So maybe not those people, just because it gets worse. Mm. Um, but that's kind of a weird caveat, I think. I think yeah. anyone would do well in therapy um, because therapy isn't this scary, like, like people always say, are you analyzing me? Are you, you know, whatever. <laughs> and it's not that it, that's, what's the mystifying part of therapy, right? The demystified thing is that it's a conversation where we're really focusing on you and you only, and we get to, I get to reflect back what I'm seeing and we get to make new connections and we get to break down stories and rebuild them and empower you. It, it, it's amazing. And I, I, I told my clients today, I, I, I feel jealous of the experience she got today of just discovering something in herself. Oh. It was amazing to see. Oh, that's so rewarding. I love that. I get that question too. Are you psychoanalyzing me? Like therapy is a place of non-judgment. You don't go there to be shamed. You don't go there to be told what's wrong with you. I think yes. it's such a beautiful place to explore yourself and learn who you are and engage in that discovery. Exactly. I'm getting chills all over my body as you say that. <laughs> I love therapy <laughs> so much. <laughs> Me too. Obviously. Okay, cool. I want to kind of shift here to talk about couples therapy and okay. sex therapy. Why might someone go to couples and or sex therapy and what is the difference? Okay, so this is something I want to say. Sex therapy is no different than regular therapy. There's no difference. We might think we're talking, you might think, okay, I'm coming to therapy because I have uh, ED and that's my problem. And how could you think your problem is anything else, right? But it's an anxiety problem most of the time, right? Mm -hmm. And so the way I view it is sex therapy is just therapy, but we're specifically talking about sex. Mm -hmm. And I view therapy, sex therapy as a way that you can get comfortable talking about sex because where else do we get to have a comfortable conversation about anything and everything sexual? Mm -hmm. Maybe we can vaguely have that conversation, but about you and your own sexuality, that is vulnerable, right? So having a place to be able to talk about that. Um, another time that it might be helpful uh, is for couples when sex is just really, really having a hard time happening. Mm -hmm. um, it could be maybe maybe it's been a few months and there's just too much anxiety to get the ball rolling again. Um, maybe somebody has had some trauma and is unable to really talk about it and it's getting in the way. Um, a lot of times I see a low desire partner and a high desire partner and this mismatched libido. Um, and I see most of the time women who think that their bodies are broken because mm -hmm. they either can't or haven't reached orgasm um, or find it difficult. Um, and I think that de-shaming the experience, especially for the low desire partner, um, I'm going on a tangent, but <laughs> to, no, to stay on topic, um, you know, I think that if you're having a lot of anxiety 
about your sexuality, it's probably a good time to start thinking about it. Yeah. And you know what? On my Instagram, I made a post that's called, when do you think you should start thinking about couples therapy? I saw that so, the other day. Yeah. Can you talk about <laughs> I could probably that? just go to that. <laughs> yeah. Can you talk more about that? Like when or what signs do you know that it might be time to seek the help of a professional in a couples setting? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I'm just making sure that I um, I'm having a little brain moment, but um, no in this post, I, w- I want to go back to my post that I made, um, you know, so emotional distance when, um, when a couple is emotionally distant um, due to a lot of reasons that can, can have an effect on the relationship. And that would be a good time. Um, if there's big conflict, let's say an affair happened or, um, something big and emotional happens and there's some sort of crisis, conflict resolution obviously is a good time um, to go to therapy. Um, if there is a break in trust mm-hmm. or if there's some sort of um, insecurity in the commitment of the relationship, that would be a really good time to start thinking about couples therapy. Um, if there's mismatched libidos, if there's sexual problems, um, if the styles of communication are mismatched, if your attachment styles are different, um, if you have no time in your schedules or lives for your relationship, having an hour out of your week that is scheduled to talk about your relationship, like those are all really good reasons to go to therapy as a couple. Mm, Yeah, that's really, really good. I like how you mentioned the insecurity too, because that can definitely take its toll on the relationship. Yeah. Yeah. So can you share some tools then for learning to healthfully communicate with a partner and do a healthy conflict resolution rather than stonewalling or becoming passive aggressive or becoming defensive? Because I think a lot of people do that. Absolutely. Um, um, One of my favorite things to do with couples is to go over the Gottman Repair Checklist. Are you familiar? Yeah, (laughs) I love it. Yeah. (laughs) It's just like, just for anyone who's never heard of it, it's like this big, ugly list that like looks like it was written a million years ago. Um, And some of it is triggering as hell and some of it's awesome. And so I love to go through this worksheet with couples because even though it's like kind of manually, it's like being looking at a worksheet. I think what it does is it provides a good basis for conversation because I don't say look at this list and do that. Mm. Okay, come back next week and see how it was. I say, let's look at this list. Which one, which ones elicit some sort of emotional response in you? You know, which ones are triggering you? Which ones do you wish your partner would say more often to you? And if you need suggestions in an argument, I always tell my clients, print it out, put it on your fridge. I have mine on my fridge right there. And I pull it off fridge anytime my uh, fiance and I are getting a little snappy at each other mm-hmm. um seriously we'll be like hey where's the list we run over and we grab the list and we like use it because it's so helpful when you're angry to like have a list of what to say when you're feeling something yeah mm, I love that that's really right in the nick of time it's always there <laughs> yeah absolutely and I think um the the four horsemen are you familiar with that concept yes. too 
Um, do you want to explain that one or? I would love to hear you explain it. Cause my next question was going to be, where do you think most people go wrong in conflict? And I know with the stonewalling and the defensiveness, the criticism, the contempt, can you talk a little bit more about those common reactions that we elicit so often? Right. Um, so funny enough, every time I try to say all four, I forget one of them. So I'm glad you said (laughs) all of them in a row. Um, so tell me again what they are. So there's, there's criticism. Criticism, contempt, stonewalling, and stonewalling, and defensiveness. Okay, so those are the four, and um, basically, the way that I conceptualize it is that we all kind of go to some of those defense mechanisms, um, and none of them are are bad inherently. They're just things we do. Um, Now, contempt is considered worse than the other ones because it's a pretty good indicator of a relationship not going to work out. Um, But these four, these four um, defenses are, are really important because um, they're the strongest predictors of a relationship failing. And so we have like four very specific things that we know can deteriorate a relationship. And so, um, I think that the Gottman website has a really wonderful website or a video that I would suggest looking at. It's like a two minute video. Um, and I think it describes it a lot better than I'm describing it. But um, what was your question about, about communication? Yeah. So what are some strategies or proactive methods that couples can use? And you can even talk about your couples challenge here. Like what do you yeah. suggest when learning to adapt to your partner's communication style and their preferences? Like where can people improve their communication with each other? Right. Um, yeah, actually I will, I'll take this time to tell you a little bit about the course. Um, cause you know, the, this, this information, um, and some of the stuff that I've talked about today is actually in that course. Sure. Um, and so the way I've built it is basically, um, the things that I do routinely with couples, I've kind of built into a, an app, app format. And so, um, you know, there are conversation starters and basically like you know, journal prompts that are not for journaling, but they're for conversations. Um, and so I think that, I mean, obviously I'm, I'm plugging my own thing a little bit, but um, <laughs> having do. conversations like that is really important, right? Having conversations about not only um, desire and, um, you know, libido, but also having conversations about kink, having conversations about consent, having conversations about, um, non-monogamy, having conversations about what is cheating, having conversations about, um, you know, a multitude of things that we don't necessarily think about when we start thinking about sex. We think PV, you know, that that's all we have. Penetration, that's sex. Um, and so the big thing is, is I would say, what is sex? It's the number one thing I start with with couples always is what is sex? And okay, as you hear that, that's fine. But how would you actually answer that if you if I asked you? Mm. Do you know how you might answer? I think I would say it's it could be whatever. You could have solo sex. You could have partnered sex. It's an intimate um, act that you engage with with yourself or another person. But even then, it's different for everyone because sex doesn't need to be emotionally intimate for some people. It could just be a way to have right. fun. So Exactly. And so I think about expanding the definition of sex to be anything that causes pleasure to ourselves. Mm -hmm. Like, 
I don't know if that would be like the full definition, but I think that that's a great way to start, right? Because if we expand the definition of sex to be past penetrative sex, what we're doing is saying, look at all the other ways that I can be intimate with my partner. What can I do if, if we take away penetration? If penetration is off the table, what can we do with our bodies? What can I do to cause pleasure to another person? What can that person do to cause pleasure to me? And that is what <clears throat> I find to be really important. Yeah, those conversations are so important and people tend to either not have them at all because they can be uncomfortable or it happens when you're fighting over something. Like if I could give a personal example, a month or two or three ago, I said, uh, I brought something up to my partner and I said, listen, it was about a dis- discrepancy in desire. I said, I would love to be sexually intimate every time I see you or, you know, multiple times a week. Whereas that person one time a week was good enough for them. But what they heard when I said that was, you're not pleasing me, you suck, I'm not getting any pleasure from sex. So it's it's really important to have those conversations, I think, from Absolutely. the get-go so that you're on the same page. Absolutely. And then also checking in with each other yeah. and saying, after you say a big thing that you're nervous about the response, say, what did you hear me say? Mm-hmm. No, it's a very therapisty thing to say. <laughs> um, but like, Having your partner say back what they heard is important because just the other day I was having an argument with my fiance. I was a little one. He said something, and I said, "When I when you say that, I hear you don't love me, and you, and you're gonna do X Y Z, or I don't know what it was, but like yeah. I was hearing, I knew it wasn't what he was saying, but I was hearing something totally different. Mm-hmm. And so I think if we can, if we can take the black and white nature out of this and have more shades of gray, that if we live in the gray things can feel a lot happier. Yes. It's always more happy when you live in a balanced state rather than extremes. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and it's really cool that you also brought up the question of what is cheating because that's also something I fought with partners about where I did something or they did something and it wasn't cheating in a past relationship. So again, just being transparent from the get-go so that you know what you're working with. Boundaries are established and boundaries are so important to have in any relationship. So communicating to make sure that you both know what to expect from each other. Right, right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, so cool, Maddie. Can you tell people if they want to check out Selenial Therapy, if they want to check you out and your work, where they can find you? Yeah. So um, I'm on Instagram. That's probably the easiest way because everybody uses it. <laughs> it's millennial therapy and it's spelled z-i-l-l i'm dyslexic hold on <laughs> i was thinking in my head too i was like how do you spell it z-i-l-l-e-n-n-i-a-l therapy.com it's spelled like millennial with a z okay. which i found could be confusing because some people could spell it with two n's or one mm-hmm. but i spell it with two n's. oh Perfect. But to make that way less confusing, you can find me on Instagram <laughs> at Zillennial Therapy and all my links are there at zillennialtherapy.shop is my um, site right now. Um, and I have a card game that is coming out in the next couple of weeks. Ooh. And so you can pre-order that right now. Um, it's a, think of, um, have you heard of like uh, that game, We're Not Really Strangers yep. or... Cards Against Humanity or something like that. It's basically not not like Cards Against Humanity, but more so we're not really strangers where there's a question prompt and it's all about sexuality. It's questions that um, 
maybe are less for parties and more for couples intimacy building. Um, so probably not like a fun party game, but <laughs> I think it's a pretty fun game. I would think so too. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be what yeah. I'd want to play at a party. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love that. I love those prompt question games. I feel like it's so cool to learn to, as a way to connect and an opportunity to get to know each other better. Absolutely. Oh, really yeah. fun. And I can't I'm wait really to check it out. About that. Yeah. Congratulations. That's awesome, Maddie. Yeah. Thanks. Awesome. And I'll be sure to link everything in the show notes so that people have easy access to check Wonderful. out your work. That's amazing. I really appreciate that. Yeah. And I appreciate all your wisdom and your compassion and for coming on here today and talking about a topic that thankfully is being more shed light upon, but can still be very taboo and hard to approach. Yeah. And I think that we tackled it from all angles. So I really appreciate your knowledge and for coming Thanks. on the and show today. I just wanted to say that um, I'm in California and so if anybody is in California and looking for a therapist, um, I could be your therapist. Um, but you have to be in California. So that's important. Yes. Thank you for sharing. California is huge. So I'm sure there will be someone. <laughs> yeah, pretty big. Cool. Um, but thank you very much. I really appreciate this. This is really awesome. Thank you so much for listening to Spiritual and Bipolar with Lauren Coletti. If you would like to support the show, you can enter to win a $25 Avi gift card by rating me five stars and sending me a screenshot of your five-star review via Instagram, which I will list in the show notes. If you are enjoying Spiritual and Bipolar, I would love it if you shared with a friend or someone you think could benefit from the show. I would love to hear from you, so never hesitate to reach out and tell me your thoughts, suggestions for guests and topics, or apply to share your story on the show. All my love.